welcome, welcome, welcome to The Sigma Show, episode 120. I am your host, Sigma. Uh, before I let you know who is joining me this week, real quick, we'll go over what our topics will be. Uh, and like it's been the last couple of weeks, not a ton of news, uh, but we do have um, some interesting uh, organizational shakeups happening over at Microsoft due to the Activision Blizzard um, deal coming to a close. Um, and, I, and some really interesting uh Shuffle, I, I believe. So we'll get into like maybe if this will help uh, kind of rein in the massive, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Like it's like a mound of, uh, <laughs> of developers and publishers and whatnot uh, that make up the, the new Microsoft Game Studio or whatever. Um, but here to discuss such things with me, Rachel Kayser. Hi, everybody. I'm back. As well as Marty Sleva. Good morning. Uh, and yeah, we were we were supposed to. If, if you guys were paying attention, I was teasing a, a new face would show up on the show, uh, but unfortunately, does not seem like that was able to come to fruition. But hopefully, in the future, we'll we'll, we'll get to find out who this mystery person was. Uh, but we'll probably have other new faces as well, uh, aside from the person I'm referring to uh, in the near future. So just keep keep an eye out for that. Um, but as we tend to do, we'll jump right into what we've been playing, uh, what we've been watching, what we've been. Listening to, doing, just ge just general shooting shit. Is <laughs> we just call this section shooting shit. I got uh, it. But um, but yeah. Anybody feel like one going first? And I see you guys in the chat. What's up, Fungus Finder, Nick, uh, King's Dead, Lampy, George Lucas. What's up, all? Hmm. Welcome. Uh, I can go first. Yeah, go for it. Go right. Um, uh, so I spent part of the week in San Francisco, uh, for the Games Beat Next conference. Uh, because in case I didn't, because I, is anyone here who has not seen me properly introduce myself? I am a writer for GamesBeat, and we uh, had our big conference out in San Francisco where we uh, have a bunch of like big people, fairly decently big people in the industry. Actually, I'm kidding. They are big people in the industry. Uh, come out and uh, talk on various topics. We had discussions about indie games, about uh, blockchain. Uh, of course, we had some meta, we actually had a whole like, uh, uh, wasn't a panel, it was a single person um, basically a TED talk is the metaverse dead what, and what was uh, the I, conclusion of that talk, I'm just well, curious <laughs> the speaker believes it is not um, I, I, I reserving judgment on mm -hmm. whether or not I agree, but uh, professionally was the talk held inside of a metaverse of some sorts? It was not, no, <laughs> unless you consider our conference a metaverse but I um, I met the creator uh, Alexei Pajitnov, the creator of Tetris and I also hosted my third Women in Gaming Breakfast. It sound, this sounds like a promo, but mostly I'm just really excited about the stuff that I did while I was no, there. No, it's because, awesome. Yeah. Because I did it all the first day I was wearing a Luigi hat, and the second day I was wearing tiefling horns. Incredible. Because Amazing. I have discovered that this event is really, uh, like, it's ten times more fun if you wear funny hats. Because, like, people, like, come up to you more and have, like, co co stimulating conversations more because they have, like, an easy icebreaker to start a conversation with mm -hmm. you. And just generally it's, uh, you know, it makes for more fun. Also, people can find you more easily in a crowd. And we had a venue with um, several hundred people in it. So, you know, you see me as, like, just me, like, walking through with the horns. It's like, oh, there's Rachel. See, politicians need to start wearing uh, weird hats. That'll that'll just break the ice. That'll be the uh, they, the no, they, they tried the that. Aisle. Remember no, the whole MAGA thing? Like, yeah. oh yeah, never mind. never mind. They already did that. That's true. Yeah, they they, they did that. Never mind. Yeah, it did not go well. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. Although, um, if they had had devil horns, it would have been much more 
Um, it would have it would have been much more uh, on on brand. Probably. On brand, yeah. Um, uh, Lampy, funny you should say that. I did actually have my bayonetta watch with me, but the whole point is to wear headwear so that people can easily pick you out in a crowd. Um. So but what I've been playing, I finished. Uh, I got the platinum for Spider Man Two. Hey. Uh, after I finished the review for it, which uh, I still I still love everything about the um, about the game. I still well, I love a lot about the game except the boss fight arenas. Like that was like my big point of contention in the re- in my review is that um, every time you you know you have to have like a one on one boss battle. It's like it's like the the whole game shrinks to the size of like a parking lot. Yeah, you know, and it's like whereas in the last game you have these huge like big arenas where Spider-Man is using his superior mobility to swing around and, you know, like the fight with Vulture and Shocker or the Doc Ock fight in the last game. It's like, we didn't have anything that was that good. And that made me really disappointed because we're farting Venom. <laughs> this should be a lot more awesome than it is. But you, so know. you, you were a fan of the Doc, Dr. Octopus fight in Spider-Man one. Not necessarily the Doc Ock fight. Oh, actually, I prefer the Vulture and Shocker fight. To me, that's mm-hmm. the best fight in the whole game. But, the, but at least in the Doc Ock fight, you can swing around. Like you have much more freedom sure. of movement than you have. Like mm-hmm. I won't spoil, but there is a certain boss battle in Spider-Man Two, a uh, very pivotal moment in the story, and it's you know a deeply it's it's meant to you know if there ever was a showcase, uh, a chance to showcase Spider-Man's superior mobility, it would have been that fight. But it all takes place on the ground. Like there is literally no room to swing, so you don't. Yeah, and I, I was so disappointed. <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't finished it yet. I think I'm probably three quarters through or so. And it, but it seems like the one boss battle that feels like that is the very is the opening. Yes, with, and I was uh, I was Sandman. so impressed by that one because yeah. speaking of Bayonetta, that one gave me ma- major Bayonetta two energy because you're that's a boss battle like that would have been end game in or mm-hmm. post game in the first in the first game, and now it's like the first thing that you do in the sequel of like yeah. major Bayonetta two energy, which is a compliment coming from me, but. <laughs> Yeah, it never gets better than that. And, you know, I'd like that's what I was showing to my aunt when I was showing her, like, it's like, yeah, I'm playing a new Spider-Man game. And she's like, oh, can I watch? And I was like, I got something to show you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that, uh, yeah, that opening's that opening's really impressive. And I, I, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like, I'm, I love the moment-to-moment gameplay and a lot of the smaller story things in the game. Um, mm-hmm. I have yet to get that sort of, like, feeling of awe that I had in the opening um, throughout the rest of the game yet. So I do like, like, maybe I won't get it the rest of it. Um, well, I, I want to say more, but I don't necessarily game still new. I don't want to spoil, sure, spoil some of the major story beats. Yeah. I'm okay with mentioning the Sandman fight because that's like the first five minutes of the game. Yeah. And they even showed it in official trailers right before it dropped. So mm-hmm. yeah, there is a fight with a certain character where you play as miles and you are chasing them. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that, that is also a really good boss fight mm-hmm. for the game, but um other than that uh well i, mean, I just started before you move off of uh spider-man yes yes uh like i'm sure the game is great like i plan to get it sometime down the road um but i do like i don't, I don't want to sound like a hater but like i keep i keep seeing like people posting like oh this game is incredible for x reason for that reason and it's like very like very seemingly regular things that i feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> Like Spider-Man is getting away with it because I feel like a lot more people are picking this up than who just play video games in general. Like it's like a super, you know, has very broad appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, and I, I felt this way throughout my playthrough of the first game and while watching my son play uh, the 1.5 Miles Morales game. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing 
interesting in Spider-Man games is the swinging mechanics, I feel like. Like, the combat is, you know, very Batman Arkham. Like, they put a Spider-Man swing to it. Uh, pun not intended. But, <laughs> but like, really, that whole game is the swinging mechanic. Like, fl flying around through the city, like, parkouring off uh, roofs and whatnot. And that is so fun and so unique to that game franchise that I'm mm -hmm. curious... Um, like that's only like a part of the game. Like it's like locomotion in the game. Everything else is very cookie cutter. Uh, I, I wish they somehow made the swinging more core to everything else that you do in that game. Like you're saying, like the boss fights kind of put you in an arena and you just kind of punch stuff. Yeah, well, the, the problem is that was that was actually like part of the first game. I thought was that there was a lot more mobility in the boss fights, like because it was about Peter using his strengths. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and Miles as well. I thought the Tinkerer boss fight when in Miles Morales, um, while not necessarily like everything against Rhino, I was like, why is Miles fighting Rhino in like these small? Like this is Rhino. You should be like chasing him down city streets and like anyway. Um, but I, I did like the Tinkerer boss fight in Miles Morales, but. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but that that's the whole thing. Peter and Miles have excessive, like they like they are max dex characters. And so like putting them in small situ in small confines with a larger enemy, which is what happens a lot in Spider-Man 2, it doesn't give them a lot of like like the number of times I got like cuts trapped in a corner by an enemy in Spider-Man 2. It's like that's like my major complaint with the that's why that's my major complaint with the game, is because it undermines the one thing that is that Spider-Man does to absolute perfection which is the locomotion mm -hmm. so like the combat is you're you're right the combat is okay it's not um it's not great it doesn't have that same like you know wonderful flow that arkham that the arkham series does um and the only problem i have with the sequel mainly is that it kind of cuts down on the gadgets okay like, yeah, there were the, a lot in uh there were a lot, <laughs> in, a lot in, the in the first spider-man yeah. game and I like them. I like the gadgets. And I was almost kind of hoping that Peter would still have the gadgets, but Miles would have his Venom powers instead, because mm -hmm. that is the difference between the two of them. But instead, they sort of, like, beef up Peter's spider abilities in order to try to match Miles, which kind of feels like, you know, it's like, that's not Peter. But, I mean, just because I don't want to be completely negative, I will say every single vocal performance in this game is top tier i love it all like naji jeter as miles uh basically play having to be the this you know while while balancing like every different plate you could possibly imagine as a young man is also still having to be the straight person to peter and uh did he, did you, know, he get any uh bass in his voice i feel like like miles <laughs> miles a real sound a real prepubescent in the last two games he's still in high school he's still in high school he's still yeah going he's, it. i mean he is i mean i've actually met naji jeter he does mm -hmm. sound like that um <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, so he, yeah, that that is just what he sounds like. I don't know if he actually can add that much bass to his voice. I'm just teasing. Um, what do you want? You want Tony? Should Tony Todd have played Miles Morales <laughs> instead of Venom? I love Tony Todd for all of the five minutes he's in Spider-Man Two because um, oh, no. they use his voice. They use his voice as Venom very sparingly, I will say, mm. and to great effect. Because every time you hear the voice, it you know it sounds like. He just—he's got like this nasty, like inhuman fry to his voice, and uh, not the Venom, not Tony Todd. Tony Todd's, <laughs> Tony Todd's great. He I has love a him. regular human fry to his. He has a regular human voice, <laughs> but when he's playing Venom, he like he really like leans into like this fry inflection in his voice. You, you think and that's like punishment for him? Uh Spoiling like the <laughs> the reveal, <laughs> <laughs> like we're, we're taking half of the lines out. <laughs> I don't. 
no. I actually, um, I think it might have been actually to make room for Craven because uh, um, you had Jim Perry as Craven, who is, I think, really good at playing Craven. It's a little bit of a different take on the like Master Hunter uh, gimmick of Craven. And I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Craven as a character because it's just a, a weird like character concept to me. He's like Predator, but, but a human. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of wish I had seen more of him in the story, but I like the, um, the again, I don't want to spoil, but I like the what turns out to be the underlying motivation of the character. It feels kind of, he's an ordinary human powered by money and audacity. I'll put it that way. And that's how he's played in the game. And I like that. I, I enjoy that. Because yeah. he almost comes across as a, as a foil for Spider-Man because he does not give up and he uh, laughs in the face of death. Yeah, I think I think... I think you, you might, you as in Casey, might be giving the combat a little bit of short shrift. And I think mm -hmm. that's, uh, I think it's because the swinging is so good that it sets a crazy bar. Like, very few games, especially in the AAA realm, have one component that is so outlandishly good that it makes the other really good parts of it feel shitty in comparison and that's sure. how good the swinging is in this game the swinging is so out of this world that when the combat is like capital g good it feels lacking because it doesn't bring that same depth as the swinging does and i don't think it's that much behind the arkham combat like i think it, to me it feels a lot i mean it obviously owes owes quite a debt to the arkham combat like if anything this feels like it picked up the baton that Rocksteady pawned off at the shop in 2015 after <laughs> Arkham Knight. Uh, no, no, no. I, I do, I do see what you're saying, and yeah, it, it is very yeah. Arkham-like. It's more just a vibe for for me, and that's hard to quantify because, like, sure. it, it's more like the Arkham combat had the same kind of relaxing, like Zen-like flow to me that the swinging does in Spider-Man. So it could just yeah. be that because the combat does not have that same level of like, oh, I can really get into this and like really find my uh, my pattern here. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have that, it's again, you are right, Marty. I think that it's not, I'm sorry, I've still got my, my conference voice on, so I'm sorry if I sound a little stiff, but <laughs> it's taken me several days and I need to get a good night's sleep and get out of my system. But um, yeah, it, it does, the, the, the combat is... It, you know, the combat is a four out of five, and the uh, if 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 the swinging is a five out of five, it makes a four out of five combat look bad by comparison. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I, it's I when you see like that way. <clears throat> like when you see what was it like a picture of like Arnold Schwarzenegger next to like oh, it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah, like and Andre the Giant. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, oh my god, you look tiny, but like, no, it's a big dude. <laughs> it's a big dude. Yeah, I've seen that picture. Yeah, yeah and I like, I, I like the writing. I really like the side quests in the game. Uh, yeah, the writing and the performances are just like really fucking good. Like, it's just mm -hmm. they nailed it. And it also doesn't seem like it's a game that outstays its welcome because I'm, I think nearing ish the finish line, and I'm doing everything as I go along, and it feels like I'll be able to completely finish it in like 30 hours, under 30 hours probably, which is nice. Sweet. Get out of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I will say, um, I am, I feel like the only person in the world who likes the MJ missions. Yeah, uh, I think they're a lot better in this game than they were in the first game. Yeah. Well, it's I like them a lot well, better in this one. I actually don't like them in this one because it's like, the whole point of those Classic missions MJ is to have... hater. I know. I knew there was an no, MJ no, no. hater. No, no, no. I don't, I love MJ. I really do. The only problem <laughs> is that it, 
Okay, again, I don't want to spoil, so I will put mm-hmm. this in as general terms as possible. In the first game, the Mary Jane segments were how you uh, see, like, what Spider-Man does from a ground-level perspective. It's what the supervillains look like when you can't swing above them. Or you can't, you don't have superpowers, more or less. Mm-hmm. The sequel, they they want MJ to probably, in order to make those segments become more efficient, they need to give MJ a way to actually like be able to beat people in one-on-one combat. And unfortunately, given the nature of the people that you are fighting in the game, and she basically becomes uh yeah somebody mentioned Jane Wick um I would go so far as to, I would go so far as to say Lady Punisher wow um so like that's how much they have to beef up her power level and it's so stupid to me because they had an opportunity in the game because she's working under Jane J Jonah Jameson in this game so they had an opportunity to like really lean into her whole journalism storyline and you know as a writer myself i love the idea of uh, you know because peter's constantly hyping her up saying it's like your writing can change the world you can do so much good for the world i'm like jameson yeah. does does more good for the city than she does in this game i mean peter peter's dating her of course he's gonna big her up of course he's gonna hype her up <laughs> but yes i understand that that's his job is that's his Think job about how inspired her writing is gonna be after the 10th uh craven hunter man that she stung gunned in the neck <laughs> Yeah, like imagine like she's gonna be able to spin so many great sentences after she takes those fools out with stealth takedowns. (laughs) And I will say, somebody in the comments asked if the J if the J Jonah podcast bits are back, and yes, they are. So you can still hear uh, Jameson um, berating Spider Man, which for some reason Peter just keeps on his earpiece during the during the day while he's out swinging around. It's like I don't, Peter, I don't know what motivation you got to hear. You got to hear your haters. You I know, guess so. To be honest, that's super true. Like, if someone yeah. is constantly talking shit about you, that's like an addiction. You, like, <laughs> you have to hear what else they're saying just so you can be like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, actually, I, well, because in the first game, one of the highlights to me is, again, uh, is there? there's a bit when, uh, you know, the city is, like, being taken over by, you know, the private army and they've instituted martial law and Jameson of all people is actually one of the few people who is getting on the horn saying, you know, this is not constitutional. This is not right. If you see people, uh, if you see these people committing offenses against you and the authorities won't listen, I will call me and I will tell, I will tell everyone about it. If they want to try to silence me, they're welcome to try. And I'm like, how are they making Jameson sound so badass here? I feel like his character has always been, like he like swings back and forth between like like a real foolhardy uh, like right wing lunatic almost, but then also yeah yeah also he's got like, he's got a bone to pick with Spider Man, but right, you know other like than that he does seem thing, to be, but like yeah he does actually care about his journalistic integrity and free speech and, the city. and stuff like that yeah yeah so yeah that's one that's one of the things I you know enjoyed about the first game that's it, it is actually still sort of present in this game as well. Jameson is like a sort of multi layered character who but who is mostly comic relief um is it are we is it okay if i oh, just yeah, mention yeah. what i've been yeah, um okay so i have moved on to alan wake this has been a really really dense month so oh God, i've yes. only i feel like i've only gotten to like 50 percent of the games that have come out in october and and i've played like a dozen games so far so i'm like i'm dr- i'm drowning on dry land here trying to keep up with everything <laughs> but so far, I'm only a little bit into Alan Wake too, but I like it so far. Yeah, I'm hearing nothing yeah. but good things. Like the, like the last trailer they showed before it launched, like really impressed me. And like, Alan Wake wasn't like really high in my radar, 
but like I really I kind of really liked the remaster that I reviewed a while back. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll check out Alan Wake 2 at some point. But like it's looking like I need to play this game as soon as possible. <laughs> There's so many good games coming out this year. I said to, on, to somebody on Twitter that it was going to my game of the year, like because I, I rank all the games I play at the end of the year. Like my end of year ranking list is just going to be one giant love fest. How disgusting <laughs> is that? Just change it to yeah, games of the year. There's there's probably yeah. like 10 games this year that any of them would have been my favorite game of 2021. 2021, I felt like was like a particularly weak year. Is um, that when Sekiro won Jeff Keighley's? Uh... No, that was 2019. 20, oh, damn. That was 2019. Yeah. Wow. That yeah, was, was pre-pandemic. We're getting old. We're getting old. Is that when uh, It Takes Two won? It Takes Two won, okay. yeah. Okay. And like, yeah. Best Door was probably my favorite game of that year, which was great. But like... <laughs> There's probably ten games I like as much as Death Store this year. Um, yeah, and, yeah, uh, sure. yeah. Uh, I, I'm in the same boat as Alan Wake too. Also, not super far in it. Setting it started till Friday and haven't put that much time into it. Um, one of the things, uh, as you get a little further into it, I'm amazed by is this. Finally, feels like Remedy has nailed their weird melding of live action and gameplay, which they've been trying to do since the first Alan Wake. Alan Wake has it. Uh, obviously, Quantum Break was this big experiment in in mm-hmm. uh, taking, you know, li- live action sort of episodes and, and combining it with gameplay. Rest uh, in peace, Control. Oh. oh, seriously, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Control had those. You know, anytime you kind of uh, had had visions and talked to the board, and then those darling videos, it did that. This melds it even more with the gameplay and makes the live action things sort of like make sense in the world. Um, like why there's a differentiation between these things uh, in a really effective way. And it's like, holy shit, this is a studio that, you know, it, it felt like people, you know, really loved uh, Max Payne one and two. And then uh, the original Alan Wake had sort of mixed response. I think when it first came out, same with American nightmare and then quantum break felt like a, I was like, when Microsoft just couldn't get anything right, which we'll talking about, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, our, in our main topic. Yeah. Uh, but then with uh, with Control, they like fucking nailed it. And then with this, it's like, oh man, like these guys are like firing on all cylinders. Like this team like knows what the fuck it's doing. And this is, I, I feel like they've sort of cemented themselves in this rarefied atmosphere of AAA devs that um, I'm going to be curious to see. Obviously, Epic funded this one, but we'll like if someone's going to try to gobble them up in this yeah, ongoing that, uh, ongoing like arms race next. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a terrifying thought. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is also funny because in the same time they have released duds like that crossfire X was it, was it, that huge... was them. Yeah. Hmm. Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta cash those checks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would still say, I would still yeah. say quantum break was definitely a dud because of the gameplay, not really so much the multimedia aspect. Yeah. yeah, and like visually it was cool, and like the story was cool, but yeah, playing the game was kind of a slog. Yeah, the the game felt like an afterthought to the other stuff they were experimenting with in that. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's not stupid. This is going to sound really petty, but the thing that broke me that the thing that made me break with break with Quantum Break was the was the art design and the color. Like it was like this weird like if I remember correctly, they were just these weird orange and turquoise like power mm-hmm. like colors yeah. everything it was it was a it was offensive to my eyeballs basically and it's one like of those games that i mirroring effect yeah right? and i didn't like that at all and it was one of those times when i'm like you know i just it's just it can just be one element of a game's art design sometimes that can just completely like make my brain 
Yeah, like, like that like, comes give back. Me the ick. That comes back in control, though. Like that same sort of like motiony smearing thing. But like, yeah, a lot of that game is just red. <laughs> so like, yeah, maybe a lot it of it fits, is more like yeah, red and better. neutral tones. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit more comfortable. It doesn't feel quite. So it doesn't give me the ick quite that badly. And I love control. Mm. Yeah, control. Um, I, I, after hearing how good Alan Wake is, I can't wait for them to do another control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we and need it's crossovers. Like- yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, they're like the one I roll my eyes anytime someone tries to do a shared universe now, like especially in movies. But I feel like Control was kind of the perfect conduit for that. Like that whole thing is just like, here's a building filled with a bunch of fucking X Files. And every one of our game can be a different X File that we plug into this building. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Alan Wake is just one of the stories in here. And it seems like every story going forward is going to sort of, you know, it's plug in somewhere here. Very high budget SCP. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's cool. It's it's the good shit, which I enjoyed. Um, yeah. I was actually, funnily enough, I was actually just weird side tangent, but I was thinking about that uh, when I was <clears throat> coming back from San Francisco because uh, um, San Francisco Airport was getting um, is partially getting remodeled while I was there, so I had to like curve through some like very beige hallways uh, that are being where because around to get around construction down there. And I was just like, wow, this feels very backroomsy. Oh, and no. for some reason that made me think of uh control. Did you get any bread bowls while you're in San Francisco? <laughs> I did not. No, I wasn't there that long. Is San Francisco known for its famous bread bowl? Yeah. So I would get some clam chowder and a bread bowl. You eat the chowder and then you got yourself a bread bowl. I had Chinese while I was there. So there you go. Yeah. That, that felt like also kind of a, a thing I need East. to do. Yeah. The bread bowl of the East. <laughs> okay. Um, well, San Francisco's in the West, but. No, the, the Chinese food is known as the bread bowl of the East. Oh, okay. Um, other than that, other than Spider Man, Alan Wake, uh, the only other thing I can talk about with any significance is uh, I've been watching, I, I've fully caught up on Loki now. Oh, uh, uh, season two's not done yet, right? It's still. No, it's, we're, okay. we're midway we're through it. Mm. So how how's that going? I heard, I heard uh, some some mixed things from, from it's literally well, already. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, first of all, Kiwi Kwan's in it, so that is Good. like that that is that that automatically like kicks it up two points That's for true. me That's at true. the very least. Um, but I, Jonathan Masters in it is is in it, and so that you know I'm still not sure how where we're gonna settle on him. The oh, ma- majors. Um, Jonathan Major, sorry. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Masters is somebody different. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was very, I was like, oh God. Should I know? Jonathan, <laughs> J- Jonathan Majors, that's who I meant to say. I'm sorry. No, no problem. Um, I'm still not sure where we're going to settle on him, if we're going to keep him in the MCU or not, if, you know, the allegations against him turn out to have a basis in fact. And yeah, that's I don't very wanna, messy. Like, yeah, I don't want to. It's up to Disney, and they, they seem like they're not budging just yet, so. Um, I'm kind of liking the weird shenanigans that are going, if put it this way in the, in the third episode, we go to the Chicago world's fair and, uh, the, and you know, we go to, well, we go to several different time periods over the course of the first couple episodes, Chicago world's fair being the, the biggest one. And what I find it very interesting though, is that when, uh, they go there, Mobius is talking about all the big things that happened around that time. One of the ones he mentions is the serial killer who is around. I was like, I don't think the serial killer, um, the devil in the white city is what we should be talking about here. I don't think that's like the most significant thing that happened. Get a murder uh, hotel though. We should, <laughs> we, need to, we need to fix this murder hotel. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. Um, so anyway, one thing I, I liked about that, that I thought the, 
lived up to the concept that was promised in the first episode, in the first season rather, but not really delivered on is the sort of like different time periods um, you know, and like everybody dressing in period costumes as they go, as they visit different time periods and, uh, um, you know, j- just having everybody in period dress in general just mm-hmm. is always fun. So for no, pre- you know, it's a very, it's a very Carmen San Diego kind of a thing. And I love it. <laughs> so that, that's yeah. what gives me the most enjoyment about the season so far. Yeah. I thought episode two was a big, like a big step down in my mind, but I've, re- mm-hmm. I've enjoyed three and four. I still think mm-hmm. one was my favorite of the season so far, but um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm higher on this than I've been on almost anything outside of Loki season one in phase four and five. Um, mm-hmm. I think MCU it just, wise, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I think it just has a, I think it just has a vision um, and sort of like a, a, a real sense of authorship that so much of the MCU doesn't have anymore mm-hmm. so much of it feels designed by committee and we need to plug in a bunch of pieces because x y and z are coming next but we'll do those in you know reshoots afterwards because dates are getting shuffled around and oh multiverse of madness is now after spider-man no way home not before so we need to completely change both movies um and it just like tom hiddleston and and owen wilson and the rest of the supporting cast are just so good like they're just so they good are, they just yeah. seem like they're having a lot of fun and um yeah, I just I, I I I wish I felt the same way about the rest of the stuff coming out that I feel about this, and um, yeah, we'll see like how the the Marvels does in a f- in a few weeks. But um, I'm imagining that'll be another doom and gloom scenario after that because yeah. it seems like even Disney doesn't really have a lot of faith in that. Yeah, and yeah, the actor strike is still ongoing, so like the people yeah. in it probably can't even yeah, do anything. Try to yeah, like. Because like no. you can't like their secret weapon is that like the actor who plays Miss Marvel is like just a fucking like tornado of charisma mm-hmm. and like they can't let her out there like they can't put the three of them on Hot Ones they can't have I always go to Hot Ones for some reason now well, I, it's, a, it's a big <laughs> no one's gonna see the movie if they can't have the hot sauce <laughs> the number of memes um, that have been born from that show alone is yeah exactly incredible. exactly yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I'm 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 enjoying Loki, and I'm excited that it sounds like uh, the directors of uh, episode one and then four and the rest of the series, Benson and Moorhead, who I really like, they do a lot of um, indie sci-fi movies. Um, they've been tapped to direct a bunch of, so they're like completely rejiggering the new Daredevil show. Like they filmed a bunch yeah. of it, and then they're like, mm-hmm. "Well, everyone's gone. We don't know what we're going to do, and now we're going to try to retry this." And uh, <laughs> those guys are going to be directing a bunch of it, and I'm excited for that because they um, they're great. Yeah, I will say there is like some like I mean, you already mentioned a little bit. Like, there's definitely like some quality inconsistency in this season. It does feel like some things were uh, hacked to pieces in editing for mm-hmm. sure. And the one part of it that is a little bit weird to me is that. Okay, so Tom Hiddleston and Sophia Di Martino, Mar- Sophia Di Martino are both playing variants of Loki, the Norse god of mischief. Why are they the straight person in any given scene they're in? Loki should not be the straight person. Like I don't like I understand things are just like in the first season it was sort of like a fish out of water kind of thing, but Loki's with it now like outside of the first episode and its weirdness like other other than that he's got generally a good grasp of what's happening in any given scene like so I don't know it just feels like a it, it feels like this person is not this character is kind of like 
it's it's almost like he's so beaten down by everything that has happened and kind of the same with Sylvie as well, that they are just so overwhelmed and beaten down by everything that has happened to them up to this point that you've sort of like wrung the mischief out of them. So, and th- that's what makes it so weird that in the last episode, in the, the most recent episode, there's a line where she says something about, you know, this, and this line is in the trailer, so not a spoiler, but she says something about we're playing God and Loki says we are gods. And I'm like, really? I kind of forgot. You haven't acted like one in quite some time. <laughs> so I think, like, ironically though, the second episode, like the one that was all that again felt like it was hacked pieces and editing, is the only one where Loki has felt like Loki so far. Yeah, where he's actually like using all of his powers and shit, and yeah, using his powers, yeah. being being you know st- strategic and clever, and uh, you know having a little bit of fun at the expense of his enemies. It's like, that's Loki and the rest of the, and you know, so it's like, I love everything about Loki's episode one, three and four, except Loki. Yeah. It's tough. Like you said, how he's kind of playing the straight man. And it's because like, he's surrounded by talking cartoon clocks and Owen Wilson, who kind of are incapable of being the straight man. (laughs) Owen Wilson was the straight man kind of in the first season. Yeah. He tried. He tried. (laughs) Yeah. I'm well, so put it no, no, got well, the well, put it this way. He <laughs> wouldn't was stop the, talking about it. He was the abbot of the pair. Sure. Yeah. He was the abbot to like the to Loki's and occasionally Sylvia's yeah. Costello, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. So one. not so much straight man is just a different variety of humor. And in this one, it's like I don't need. I don't know. If, I'm not sure they even know what to do with Mobius anymore as a character. No. He's gonna get his jet ski. It'll be fine. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. That would be a good end for this character. But um, now that you're mentioning the Tom Hiddleston as straight man thing, I feel like they've actually been doing that to Loki's character for a while now. Like in, like I've I've not seen Love and Thunder, but in Ragnarok, like there's a lot of screen time between Thor and Loki. And he's not in Love and Thunder because he's dead. He's dead. Oh right. Right. Well, we need to get those two back together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because this is this is non dead Loki. But I just I just haven't seen it, so I don't I don't know. Yeah. But in um. What'd you call it? Ragnarok. 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 Like Thor is the goofball. Yeah. <laughs> and like Loki's like next to him having to deal with Thor just kind of being yeah. a goofball. And I, yeah. that seems very reversed, like you're saying. Like so but they've been well, doing that except, forever. Except that bit with the, the Hulk fight in the arena where Loki oh, is sure. up in the stands, like literally screaming his head off <laughs> yeah. as, as as Thor gets a beat down from the Hulk. <laughs> That was my. Yeah. That, that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire MCU, especially when the Hulk first gets there and Thor's just like Loki, look who it is, and Loki's just sitting there like, "I'm dead, I'm dead." Guy <laughs> the shit out of me. Oh no. Uh, yeah, um, but, and it is funny that Loki throughout the MCU just constantly taking L's. Like that dude. Yeah. That dude's like, I have an army and we're gonna invade New York City, and oh my god, I've gotten the shit beat out of me again. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> oh, poor yeah, poor boy. But yeah. so I'm 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 glad that this character is getting a spotlight show. It just feels like for a show that's supposed to be centered around Loki, they don't know what to do with Loki. Disney's attending to do that a lot because I had that same issue with Ahsoka. I've not seen it yet, but I've heard it's just not even it's not really her show. Ahsoka <laughs> and Friends. Yeah, it. I've yeah, I got that same impression. I haven't finished Ahsoka. But you know, Marty, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna message you on Discord once I finish it all up, and we're going to we're gonna have a confab. I think. I, I did not like that. I did not like the last episode. <laughs> I did not like the I, last episode. I I will reserve judgment. We shall see. Please do. Um, I just hope everyone has a good time. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's all I hope. But I guess same with this show. You know, as long as yeah. we got we got a bunch of great actors in there, and we've got a bunch of just 
cool set piece moments. If the main character feels a little bit underserved, well, you know, there yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it week to week, which is yeah, that's the most I can give it right now, and that's but, great. Like I'm 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 happy to tune in every Thursday or Friday, whenever the hell it is. But since you mentioned it, I will say I do want Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston to play Thor and Loki together again at some mm. point because those two, their chemistry is just amazing, and I love seeing the two of them together. Yeah, they are great together. So anyway, that wraps it up for me. I am done. Sweet. Uh, Marty, do you have a, a lot of stuff to, to get into? or No, not too much. I mean, we have the, you know, I talked about the uh, Spider-Man and Alan Wake. Um, Marty Wonder, I don't have too much more to say other than like, I just, true. Yeah. I, I just think that game was delightful, like top to bottom. I, I it didn't overstay its welcome. I thought it. Uh, how long just, did you say it was to like get to the end? I mean, I, Nintendo's bad at giving you timing on things. <laughs> It'll be like, you played it for more than five hours. It's like, thanks, Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, I appreciate it. Um, I probably got, th- I probably 100%ed it in like 10 to 15 hours. 10, okay. Um, but uh, that's also, that's a game I'm absolutely going to go back and replay when my, uh, the, the holes in my memory get bigger and bigger and I, <laughs> I forget everything from it in like two years. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was, it was, it was just really good. And I felt like it was a real return to form for uh 2d Mario that I haven't seen since the super Nintendo era. So, uh, more of that please. And then, uh, in terms of stuff I was watching, uh, I watched the five nights of Freddy's movie and I didn't like it, but that didn't matter because I overall think it is a net positive. And I was saying this last night, I think it is a gateway to horror for an entire generation and I think kids who are obsessed with the games and the books and the lore are going to watch this movie and then they might wander over to other better horror. And if that happens, if it converts 5% of its fans into better horror, then it gets a thumbs up in my book. Is that a, a normal thing? Like, do like did you, for example, as a young kid, like benefit from seeing like bad horror movies and then like, oh, well, maybe I'll try another thing. Even though this, I benefited from goosebumps. Is that bad horror though, or is it just horror aimed at kids? I mean, that's is that what Five Nights at Freddy's is? Horror aimed at kids. Yeah. Is it? You know, I I don't really know that much. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. I know. Kids took to it because of streamers. Like streamers took to it, and so like their audience is just a lot of young kids. But was it it always aimed at originally? It may not have originally been. It is now. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah, it sort of uh, it's it's it became that over time. Whether sure. that was the intention in the first game, I don't know. But uh, between all the games and spinoffs and YA novels and sort of cottage industry of of lore and Matt Pat videos and everything, <laughs> I think it got geared towards kids. Um, yeah, because because kids born after like twenty ten or something, they don't know anything about freaking animatronic. Uh, yeah, it's funny because it's like nostalgic that. for a time that they didn't have. It'd yeah. be like if we grew up on some horror thing that was nostalgic for like the fifties or sixties. Like, I mean, um, to be fair, that I mean, a lot of that is not necessarily. It, I think that's kind of true. I mean, we. I mean, I was born in the nineties, and I grew up watching horror movies that are set in the seventies and eighties. So you know, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. You know, just uh, you know stuff that is, but not necessarily like a reflective of my everyday experience, mm-hmm. but yeah. 
Yeah, or like how the Scream series was a send-up on movies from 15, 20 years prior, and you don't need to have necessarily seen those movies to appreciate Scream, but you get sort of more from it, I guess, if you do. Sure. I don't know if that's exactly the case with uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, but... um, Yeah, I I, I feel like... A lot of people will say this about like kid centric media is like it's okay that it's bad because they're kids and they they don't really have taste and they don't know any better. They just kind of want to sit down and see see stuff. But I feel like kids actually do benefit from quality stuff as well. Like you don't have to give them bad things because they're kids. (laughs) I agree. But with horror, horse specifically like feels like it needs a, a gateway like hardcore mm-hmm. action movies i don't want to like sit like a eight-year-old who wants to see like action figures fight each other and be like here's john woo's hard-boiled <laughs> like <laughs> like or here's john wick like that's like maybe seeing like the avengers is like oh maybe when i get a little bit older i'll check out like well choreographed action movies uh and get into hong kong cinema and stuff like that um, <laughs> and maybe that's me coming from i clearly don't have kids and so maybe i'm just like delusional about it all but um no i mean uh, i mean schlock horror has kind of been a thing for as almost as long as horror movies have existed since you know uh this weird takes on like you know post night of the living dead um but yeah yeah, there's there's always been like a tradition of like kind of not great but still entertaining horror movies like they're not well made as movies but they are entertaining to watch because they are because they are kind of ridiculous and silly and uh, I mean, someone mentioned that uh, FNAF is referencing the Chuck E. Cheese era that doesn't really exist anymore. But I, I think that's where you can give kids some credit. It's like they may not necessarily have a familiarity with the age of like slightly creepy animatronics in public like children's spaces, but mm-hmm. they can still recognize like the, the creepiness you know, in it. The you don't need to have seen it, it firsthand in order to be like, oh, this is kind of creepy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's also it's an interesting thing because you see, I see a lot of like. Uh, like a lot of film critics are either super surprised that it made a shit ton of money or are like really angry that it made a shit ton of money. And it's interesting to me because I'm like people who are super surprised that this is successful. It feels like they're like, you don't realize that you're getting old and you just don't like Uh you're, you're, you're blind to this. There was this entire blind spot that this thing is incredibly fucking popular, but no one in our circles talks about it. Like, yeah. I guess in the game circle, you mention it sometimes, but like, I don't know. I don't really know anyone who's like a hardcore Five Nights at Freddy's fan. Like, but there are millions and millions and millions. And this movie, even though it released day and day on on Peacock, I think it was, uh, or Paramount, one of the two, they both start with a P, and I can't differentiate yeah, there's them. There's no way to know. <laughs> there's really no way to know. Um, and, uh, uh, even though it released day and day on that, which means it was immediately stealable in 4K, because any movie that is released digitally is stealable in 4K, it still has made like oh, so much fucking money this opening weekend at the box office. It was the biggest, the biggest horror opening of the year. Um, wow. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's impressive. I don't like the movie. I don't think it's good. I think it is very impressive and like an interesting cultural artifact. And I hope that uh, it inspires kids to see uh, the real fucked up horror movies when they grow up. <laughs> uh, I just want to point out Frogwater uh, says Jim Henson did it so well, respecting kids with big themes. And I think like, yeah, like give kids a little more credit. Like, you, I think you can make a thing that appeals to a young mind 
but it's also scary. Like, like treats that young mind as like, oh, what are some of the things a young mind would be scared of? And then use that against them in a thing that also tells like an actually interesting, compelling narrative that they can actually think about. Because like, and a lot of our media is just this. So like, no, no real sh shade towards Five Nights at Freddy's, but like, it's kind of just, it's garbage. It's like junk food media. Like it's, it's colorful characters or colorful images or whatnot stuff you already know it's you know brand centric and then they just slap together a big budget thing to get in front of as many people as possible and then they call that a win and it's like this doesn't do anything for anyone even even the fans who are watching it probably don't get much out of it other than the thing i like is here again so i don't know i i would like them to try a little harder but i know they won't so <laughs> i don't know that feels pretentious to me does it? I, I don't know why am I defending I, know. I did not like this movie. I don't think it was good. I just think I think comparing it to a Jim Henson thing, those feel like apples and oranges because like mm -hmm. what Labyrinth and Dark Crystal were going for is very different than this. Like those had some scary things, but those weren't horror. This is like an an attempt on horror in the same way that Goosebumps is or like scary stories to tell in the dark. Um Mm -hmm. Which is scary stories down in the dark was fucking cool, um, but uh, we just don't get that too often in kid centric media, and so like I I don't know I think it's an I think it's a, a win I don't know why I consider it a win but I do consider it a win. I mean somebody won it made a lot of money. Like I really said. like I really <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that super conservative career <laughs> one. <laughs> um, I don't know I just want more kids to be into horror. Just watch Ultraviolence. More kids need to just get desensitized and watch Ultraviolence. I think they're I think way they're past where I am. Yeah, like the, these kids love horror stuff. At least my kid does. And I don't know where he got it from. Because yeah. I don't care about horror whatsoever. <laughs> but like, it's in, like a, it's in our it DNA, right? We like being scared. It makes you feel alive. Okay. <laughs> it, yeah, oh, isn't it? Like, I, I'll it take your like word for it. Like, That's I, like what a haunted I, house. I don't like being scared at all. Like, it's not a thing I ever try to seek out. It's 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 a fun sense. It well, I mean, fun is subjective, obviously. Mm. But I think the conceit behind it is that it is a. Why uh, my ring light just shifted? So sorry, my oh, face got really like shadowed. Sounds like Freddy's is coming. It's like oh, there's a poltergeist. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's a it's a controlled way of experiencing. You know the adrenaline rush of, you know, near, I, I wouldn't say near death, more like threat, you know? So, mm -hmm. and, and I, I think it can be a good way of experiencing and knowing how to deal with that in real life. You know, that's, that's my, well, thank you for coming for my Ted talk, but um, you know, that, that's, that's one of I the mean, benefits. That, that kind of, that kind of assumes that you don't face threats or fear or whatnot in your real life. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying it's a controlled way of experiencing that where you can control like how much of like, the rush that you get like you can turn off a horror movie if it's too much for you mm -hmm. and like you can you can walk out you can turn off or you can stop playing a scary video game if it's too much for you mm -hmm. but you know so it's it's so you have it's you have complete control over how much of like the the rush that you get so to speak so, I just, i've never understood because by the end of it, it's so scary man. i just want it to end it's just so scary i just want it to be done <laughs> Like I just I just find I just find the, the the obsession around fear fascinating because like I I don't get it. Like I've never considered the sensation of fear to feel like a rush. It's well, always a be, negative to me. Like a hot yeah. sauce. 
Well, and to be like, clear, I'm sure, it's, but it, it tastes good. But like, it if it's burning me, then no. I mean, and to be fair, I mean, a lot of it is is sort of like fear in a general sense, as a sort of like triggering your survival instinct, uh-huh. as opposed to like you know prolonged and psychological forms of fear, like. Uh, or, or even things like I'm a, like I'm I'm thalassophobic. I've mentioned it before. I have an intense fear of deep water. I'm not going scuba diving anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not going to like put myself. I'm not you know. And I if, unless I'm forced, I'm you know. There are certain games I will not play. Like I won't play. Was it Soma that came Soma, out? Like yeah. Dredge, Dredge is like right on the periphery. You could you can handle Dredge. I can. Dredge, yeah, I can. Dredge, dredge might be your gateway. There's yeah. one area of dredge where there's deep water, and it spooked me. I was like, I don't want to go there. Yeah. I mean, Dave the Diver. Dave yeah. the Diver is as far as I've gone this year. Well, that's got some deep water. It does, yeah, but yeah. it's but it's fun and whimsical and you yeah. know. You and I even sushi at the end of the day. Yeah, and or, or a game like Abzu, for example. Like I can't mm. play that. But my point being just that you know games, you know when you have like a deep psychological fear like or a deeply ingrained fear that's not something that you can safely trigger i think mm. that's not something you know so it's more of just like there there are safe ways to trigger and experience fear without you know that sort of like sense of like psychological torment so i think that's part of it but right. I, you know we could write whole essays on this i think and we will one day <laughs> we will yes we will have a whole debate show uh, uh but yeah well how, go on marty Oh, then the last thing. Uh, so I, I recommended on a couple shows already this week that Scavengers Reign, the the new uh, HBO yeah, animated yeah, yeah. series. I saw the trailer for uh, that and was like, I need to watch this. Highly, highly recommend Scavengers Reign on HBO. Uh, I also started another new animated series, an anime. Uh, I believe it's eight parts on uh, a Netflix original animation. Well, Netflix original, uh, but it's an adaptation of uh, a manga called Pluto from mm. 20 years ago that was... Um, it's like a spiritual successor slash reimagining of Astro Boy, um, but like an adult take on Astro Boy, like the iconic, like one of the OG manga Astro mm-hmm. Boy. Um, but it, it reimagines it as sort of like a a hard boiled detective murder mystery about um, a serial killer who's killing um, kind of like the great robots of the world. It's like set in this future where um, there's these seven or eight like great robots that have been created that are like meant to help mankind that were like humanitarians and, and organized uh, uh, ceasefires and uh, tried to like combat climate change and, and like replanted forests and everything. And they start getting killed off one by one. And these are supposed to be things that shouldn't be able to be killed. And like, they don't know if a human's doing it or if another robot. And it sort of has like those rules of like the Asimov rules of a robot can't hurt, uh, harm a human and humans start dying. So it's like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm one episode in and it's like one of the most impressive original anime, uh, things that Netflix has done so far. Uh, really great writing, really great. Uh, uh, just really incredible animation. And like the tantalizing mystery is, uh, fantastic behind it so that is called pluto um all eight episodes dropped on uh amazon it is uh they're hour-long episodes which is kind of surprising like i'm just not used to anime being an hour long <laughs> like, uh but uh it's 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 really good so uh i just watched the first episode but i'm excited to watch the uh the rest of it cool yeah i saw i saw that drop on netflix uh and it was on the list of all the other things um that were getting announced like all the video game centric shows that are coming out uh, and I had no idea what that was, but it looked super cool. So, like, there's mm-hmm. that, and then there's, I think, Blue-Eyed Samurai is also dropping soon. 
Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, when they like do their like things. dumb things or whatever, they sometimes yeah. like show sizzle reels. I'm like, oh, look at all this shit. So like, yeah, Netflix is really bad at me not knowing a thing exists until it's out. I did not know <laughs> this thing existed until like I re- like I saw a Polygon link yesterday that was like, you need to watch this Netflix anime. I was like, okay, Polygon, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely gonna check that out eventually. Yep, but that's uh, that's it for me. Uh, okay, so yeah, on on my front. Um, a fungus finder was already asking, but um, I, I did reach the end of my binge through to catch up on One Piece uh, to where um, there's, I think, one episode out that I haven't seen right now. Um, but the, the major fight of the big Kaido arc has concluded. Uh, I've, I've witnessed Luffy's uh, new Gear 5 transformation, which was spoiled for me several, <laughs> like a month or two before I actually got there because the internet has no filter. Um, and I was, what, what does that mean? And how did it, what, what, like what? Well, you know how Goku, um, in, in yeah, he went super Saiyan Luffy essentially gets, a tra- mm. and Luffy has had, uh, sort of upgrades like transformations before, right? Okay. Where he's like, okay, he learns how to circulate the blood through his body to give him like an energy boost or he, mm. he inflates himself, uh, to be like much bigger and stronger. Um, so, so like he's had like gear two, gear three, gear four, where he's like learning like new techniques and ways to utilize his rubber powers in like interesting ways. But this is like a full on transformation. Like he kind like his hair changes color, his clothes mm. change color. Um, it's essentially called the awakening of like your um, your devil fruit. Cause like other characters have done this in the past. Like he fought Doflamingo, who ha- has an awakened devil fruit, where where the properties of their devil fruit now affect not just their body, but like things around them. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's actually really, it's a really cool concept because uh, the Devil Fruit system in One Piece has like a lot of very strange rules and power sets, but like the way that they all share some commonality is very interesting. And like they do really cool stuff with that. And so this is this is like Luffy getting to the next level of his Devil Fruit usage. Um, But... On that note, like I was saying how much I loved like how the animation and stuff was changing to accommodate like the really spectacular like fight scenes and stuff. It's getting a little Dragon Ball Z-ish with just massive explosions and just terrain deformation all the time. But it, it was still like very coherent and like fun to watch. When Luffy goes to gear five, that goes out the window. But not for the same reason. Like it's not like just people yelling and shooting fireballs back and forth like Dragon mm-hmm. Ball Z is. Instead... Uh, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but like I waited super long. So like if you care about this, you probably have seen it already. So if you don't care, you don't want to hear it rather, tune out for like the I'll, I'll wave my hands like this when <laughs> when the spoiler stuff is done. But I'm going to go into it now. So you have been warned. So essentially Luffy's power, uh, he's, he's a rubber man. It allows him to basically make his body rubber and like the ground and like things he touches and interact with rubber as well. But apparently some big reveal is that his devil fruit is actually not <clears throat> the type that we thought it was. Because there are three types. One turns you into some sort of an animal. One allows you to gain some sort of a property. And the other allows you to become some sort of element. And Luffy's, uh, we thought, changed his body. But his is actually one that transforms you into a sort of animal. Except the animal is a human. And the human has rubber powers. Right. Is Luffy not a human? No, Luffy's a human, but his devil fruit transforms him also into a human. So he doesn't change shape. Like Chopper was a deer who ate a human human fruit. 
Oh. So which is why he is he can like talk and has like a human humanoid form, but he was a deer at first. But I'm okay. oh, sorry, you might not know who Chopper is. <laughs> no, I know Chopper. Okay, yeah, you started know, watching the series, I've right? Seen, I've seen pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a reveal that Luffy's fruit type isn't the isn't what we thought it was. But the other reveal is that that fruit type belonged to a god of sorts, and so that god, like eight hundred something years ago, um, had the ability to. Well, the god is called Joy Boy. Like, he's a very important character in the One Piece lore, or whatever. And, like, his whole thing is that he's able to fight freely. Like, he can fight because, like, his whole thing is, like, he's the, he's the spirit of revolution. Like, all he wants is for, you know, his friends to be happy and fed and whatnot. So he can fight as freely as he wants. And that's translated in, essentially, um, Looney Tunes-style animation. So, like, Luffy has essentially adopted what folks in versus battles will call the tune force. Like if you if you ever put Bugs Bunny or like Daffy Duck in like a versus battle, folks will invoke like, oh, they have tune force. They can pull like anvils out of thin air. They can walk in the air. Like so he can do anything is essentially what they're saying Luffy's new power is. But the way he uses it here is just he's kind of he's very Daffy Duck like in that he's just jumping around. He's like kind of laughing insanely. And like he's doing, he's doing shit where like Kaido shoots a fireball at him, and he picks up the ground, turns it into rubber, and then like launches it back like a trampoline, and like it just it turned it turned the battle from that point forward into like it would have been fine if it was just okay he's a Looney Tunes character now in the heat of this battle, but they made it fully incomprehensible. Like I could not understand what was happening because of the way the camera was spinning, because of the way Luffy's body was like flailing, and like it just it just turned to straight up mush. After he he finished the transformation, and I I I don't know if that was what's intended, but they were trying to get across the fact that Luffy Luffy is different. Like his fighting style is even more ridiculous than it was before. Because like the man used to like blow into his thumb and like create like a fist as big as <laughs> as big as his enemy's body. So it's like that's pretty goofy already. But like they tried to take it to another level, and I'm not sure that works. Um, so I'm not really looking forward to seeing him uh, battle like that again. Yeah, like from with no knowledge of that outside of what you just said, it feels like it may have been purposeful. But whether mm-hmm. that actually like sticks the landing is is one thing. Like to um, change the flow and cinematography to be almost incomprehensible to as a, as a companion to the fact that this new ability is like reality altering, seemingly. Yeah, um, essentially. Yeah, interesting. And like the the idea is like he's he's still learning it. So like like there are other people off screen talking about what this means for like his character, but Luffy himself, he's still kind of limited, I guess, in his imagination. So he doesn't do anything too outlandish. It's just that the stuff he's doing is ridiculous and it's supposed to be. Like like he's you're basically fighting a cartoon character. And like that's that's what makes it frustrating. That's what makes him have the upper hand against you, is that he can he can essentially do whatever he wants. But um, do they like go as far as like fourth wall breaks? Like, does he start acknowledging that he's an animated character? No, it doesn't go that far. Okay. But year six. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> they they could, I guess. Like, yeah. it, it, I guess it depends on Luffy. Like, Luffy has to better understand that he's now capable of doing kind of whatever he wants because he's still, he was still sticking to like primarily like the stuff he's done before. Like, oh. I can make my arm big. What if I made my whole body big? What if I made myself as big as the, like, not the planet, but, like, he's he's just, 
he's just escalating what he usually does because he can. But like mm-hmm. he's not grasping the fact that he can do much more than that. Sure. Yet. He's a sensei. He's a master Roshi. Yeah, he does. He's a find an island pervert. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to get your true potential is an island pervert. But um but yeah, after the last couple of episodes that wrap up that chapter, like I'll go back and watch those and then I'm going to take another big ass hiatus and just put one piece on the shelf. Uh, it was a really good arc. They stretched it out for way too long. Spoilers are done in case anyone wants to come back and listen. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it ended on a bit of a downer. Like people were very excited when it got to this this section. But like and maybe that's part of it. Like maybe it was bigged up. Uh, to the point where I was like, all right, now let me see what actually happens here. And it was kind of underwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like Ka- Kaido's arc was a great story for a lot of characters, not so much for the main character. Like I feel like he didn't really get as much shine as a lot of secondary dudes did. Uh, but that's fine. Like he's he's the star. He'll get some time later on. Uh, but I won't go back to One Piece for a very long time now. <laughs> Uh, Do you like watching it that way? Like taking, yeah, taking yeah, big old. I, I prefer it because because of the way, because of the way that show um, meanders. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. like you have to watch it that way. Like I cannot deal with how little story they actually tell per episode. If you're doing week to week, yeah, like it, it would be like I'd I'd have given up and like like if I didn't get much bigger context as to what's happening, like when mm-hmm. I'm in the binge phase, I probably would have just given up. Cause some, sometimes it's like, you literally did nothing. You wasted my goddamn time. <laughs> like as I was catching up, there were several episodes that were literally just recaps of several of the fights that came before. And they did this multiple times and they did it more frequently as they, as they wrapped up more fights. So it was like, you're, you're spending entire episodes recapping less content. Like you're clearly just like stalling for time. Yeah, yeah, spinning your wheels. So it's fine. We'll it'll, we'll we'll get to One Piece eventually, I guess. <laughs> um, but outside of that, um, in terms of watching stuff, I've gone back to Stone Ocean, which is the latest JoJo's chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, of of all the JoJo's that I've been watching, Stone Ocean uh, stars the first woman, uh, Jolene Kujo. She's a uh, Jotaro's daughter and she's in prison so and I think a prison set uh story is always super interesting especially one in the Jojo's universe uh but it it has been probably the weakest of all the ones I've seen so far but the second half of this season is picking up like it's starting to get a lot more uh interesting the characters are getting a lot more likable um and like it it is it's getting as goofy as it's getting goofy enough to where like I'm I'm audibly laughing at just some of the 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 situations and stuff that are that are going on in it. Like I without without spoil anything, they they go they go through they run through a lot of characters fairly quickly. And I, I don't feel like they did that uh so much in the other ones. Like the 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 people you were dealing with are the antagonists, you got a little bit more time to learn who they were and what they were dealing with. Whereas uh this like because it's a, a condensed space, for whatever, I feel like it would have worked better if you had people who were trapped in that location with you that you had to keep dealing with, and like mm-hmm. you learn more about them, and like they have like kind of a tit for tat sort of situation. Instead, like they're just running through so many villains, and like they're introducing you to brand new people, and they're spending a lot of time t- trying to tell you who that person is in the same episode that they then kill them off or something. 
just for somebody brand new to come. Uh, but all the classic stuff is still in there. Like the <laughs> the 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 way they ask, like, oh, is this is this an enemy stand attack or whatever, like that? All all the, like the tropes that you know and love is still in there, and like it still works, like it still hits. It's super violent, uh, super ridiculous, super flamboyant. Um, I'm still I'm still enjoying it. Uh, but I mean, there's not really that much to say about it. Is uh, it, uh, is it already done? Like, are you going to be able to finish it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the second half is completed already. Like the, mm-hmm. I mean, like it, it's on Netflix currently. So like they just, they throw everything out. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know what comes after Jolene. I don't, I knew, I knew that Jolene was the next one and that they finally animated it, but I don't know if there's someone after her. Cause like, this is like pretty much modern day and they keep kind of, they, they keep like the JoJo's is like Castlevania in that the family follows <laughs> generations. Oh, so like but if like, they do more, they'd have yeah, to like, like are they going to start going to the future? I wonder. JoJo like, fights they, a robot. They did, did sidesteps where like they're following the Joestar family, but then they took a little bit of a detour and followed like a descendant of Dio's mm-hmm. family. So like they might do something like that again, so that they can stay parallel, maybe. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if they will actually go to the future if they haven't already. Uh, but in terms of video games, um, I, for Hidden Gems, played Laika, Aged Through Blood. Um, this is a Metroidvania uh, where you play as like a little uh, like doggy, coyote, fox uh, lady who's basically like a road warrior. Like She has a, a motorcycle in like the, the desert. And um, so you're, you're on the bike literally while you're going through levels. And it has momentum. You have to like slide in order to turn around. So like you, it's like it's it's very deliberate control where you don't feel like a character. You feel like you're on a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and enemies will stay in place and shoot at you. And you you basically use the bottom of your bike as a shield. You can like do backflips and front flips. It, it has kind of trousy esque controls where you're like leaning forward and backwards. Um, she can parry and send bullets back. And she has a gun of her own and can shoot enemies um, from the bike and it is super hard it is like incredibly difficult um and like I, I wasn't having a great time because i was streaming and like couldn't really concentrate it was the whole time when jesse and i was having the argument about uh metrovania's name oh, as yeah. well so like it was not helping that i was like <clears throat> really like trying to debate this man while trying to like do backflips and shoot at like six dudes surrounding me in a in an area uh, but like the art is fantastic. It's got incredible music. Like I, I need to go seek out the soundtrack because like it, it has like like melodies and then like uh, songs with lyrics as well that just fit the situations beautifully, like perfectly. Um, even though it's like anthropomorphic characters, it's like uh, a collection of animals fighting against like the sort of bird collective of like bandits that are like harassing the area. It's very gritty, like the the opening sequence like you're dealing with um like a friend and their child who have both been like brutally murdered well the child was brutally murdered like strung up by his own entrails and whatnot and the father goes for revenge and ends up dead as well and like it's it's super grisly and gruesome but there's also like a bunch of spirituality stuff in it like the main character apparently can talk to the dead uh so as soon as um that friend of yours uh dies after going trying to get revenge for his son like they have a conversation like she has a conversation with his corpse and she's essentially talking to him about like, oh, she's jealous that he that he basically got to leave their harsh world and like, you know, 
be at peace with his son because she still basically got to raise her child in like the harsh reality of like the world they live in. I'm like, yo, this is like yeah. hitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I, I'm super interested in uh, what that game. I, I didn't get very far in it whatsoever, but um, I I definitely want to go back um, and play some more of it. Uh, but I, I this it's, this might be something I can't really stream because I'm gonna need to freaking pay attention actually to like, those pay attention. combat yeah. encounters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, outside of that, I also uh, finished Ghost Runner for review uh, very recently. Oh, yeah. uh, same kind of thing where um, not a Metroidvania, but a like has platformer elements like Leica does. Well, like quick restarts. So when you die in the arena, whatnot, um, it's a it's a little more forgiving than Ghost Runner one. Um, only in that they give you a couple more options to deal with threats. They don't really tone down the threats themselves. Like things um, aren't less dangerous. For example, you still die in one hit, but enemies do as well. Um, but the, the the one thing I always loved about Ghost Runner was how effortless its movement feels. Like you don't have to press a button to wall run. You you just move towards the wall and that happens automatically, which frees you up to just concentrate on what's coming at you, which might be projectiles or uh, enemy placement so that you can jump off and head towards either the next uh, platforming thing to like get around uh, a threat or to like head towards something that you want to eliminate immediately. And uh, you get a lot of um, like active tools that you can use. Like you, you have like a force push type thing that can just literally push enemies away from you and off platforms. Uh, you can throw shurikens, which can either kill some super weak enemies or create uh, it can like stun bigger ones and create like a grapple point so you can like get to them super quick. Uh, and there are other like passive upgrades, stuff like that changes your your grapple towards enemies to like a teleport. So you basically don't have to actually spend time in the air. You just immediately get there and like cut them in half. Um, and like everything that serves these sorts of like platforming and combat functions um, look and feel super cool. So like there's never any time spent trying to figure out how to deal with the situation that doesn't also feel rewarding for at least getting that far. Like even if you get killed halfway through it, you're like, oh damn, I have to do that again. But doing it again is still fun and cool as shit. So like I, I had a ton of fun with it. Um, it, it adds new stuff like motorcycle uh, segments uh, and the motorcycle integrates super well with all the rest of your kit. Like you can jump off of it while it's moving and then like grapple oh, back yeah. to it when it like leaves you behind. Hell yeah. So like you that have to like cool. yeah you have to like jump over like um like you know laser beam traps and like they're like exploding barrels with like enemies that you can like drive you can drive through enemies with using the bike uh, the bike has guns that you can shoot at enemies at um, so like it's it's just fun as shit and like you there's a boost and and the the motorcycle sections are like they're very different from the regular platforming sections, but they, they connect as if um, in the section where you have the bike, you have to go through certain trials to then get to the next area. And like, they're like big ass jumps and ramps and there's like loops, not loops, but like uh, tubes that you can like circle around because like the ground is missing on the bottom. So you basically ride up the side of the roof onto the ceiling and then around the other side because you're going so fast. And it's just, it just feels and looks so cool, all of it. Um, and it also managed to have a pretty interesting story. Like, the, the characters are kind of flat, but the stuff that they're dealing with um, was actually intriguing to me. Like, uh, you, you kill a dictator in the first game, and you free yourself from their control because you're basically, like, you were like an assassin built by the man in the, fir in the first game, right? But, like, you get hacked by 
the opposition and you essentially become your own person and then you decide to help them and you take down a dictator. And then the second game essentially says, now that we killed the dictator, how do we run a country? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's like that what actually turns out now? to be really difficult because like yeah. all these different factions want different things. Other people want power. And like a, a new group of ghost runners who are like you essentially rise up and claim that you're now part of the establishment. And like you're like you supposedly have a free mind and whatnot, but you just take their orders or whatever. So like it's like this real dichotomy and the main character actually has to think a little bit about like, all right, well, yeah, I'm part of this group, but it's because I chose to be because I believe in what they believe in. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. he has conversations with like the opposing faction, and like some of them have convincing arguments as to like maybe why he shouldn't be doing what he's doing, and like I really enjoyed that. Like it really gave a lot of um, weight to some of the situations, even though it is at at its core just like really, really uh, just fun ninja action BS. Um, but Wild I, I loved it. Man of like seven or ten days, we got like. I mean, all the games we talked about today. We got Mario, yeah. Spider-Man, Alan Wake, like a uh, Ghost Runner games that are like wildly different genres, but are all scoring incredibly high. Yeah, like, they, all they, they're like, so universal good. And above. Yeah. I said something on Twitter like, "Is this still the year that Fire Emblem Engage came out?" <laughs> that, like, that's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I fire, we've, yeah, we've I gone fire through rush a whole generation and, of gaming in yeah. one year. Yeah, it's um. I mean, it definitely does feel like all the like sort of uh, uh, dams that built up during the course of the uh, pandemic kind of broke. And these yeah. were the games that, you know, yeah. a lot of these games we may have seen last year or even the year before. But um, yeah, just it, an impressive year. And there's still a handful of cool games on the yeah, way. Like we still, have, not finished. we still have Call of Duty. We still have Mario RPG. We still have uh, uh, Avatar, like wild. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really incredible. Um, there, it's almost too much. Maybe, maybe because maybe there's something we, I'm playing right now that I also would like to rave about. And like, I can't because embargo hasn't hit yet. But like, yeah, there's still sweet. stuff yeah. coming. Yeah. It's insane. But but that pretty mm-hmm. much wraps it up for me. Um, well, you know what? Just before we get to our final topic, I did listen to Blink-182's new album. And I remember getting it? into a, um, an online uh, debate with Tommy Salty because he was basically talking trash about Blink-182. Uh, saying that they haven't had a good album since their self-titled album like several years ago, Blink-182. Don't you dare. I'm a great big fan of them. I don't believe they've ever made a bad album. Um, And the album that they just released is probably their worst album. (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) Like, it's not not terrible, but it it does... Half the songs are just not fun to listen to. And, like, that's super disappointing because I love Blink-182 so much and like this they were they released a ton of singles before this drop too and i was like mm-hmm. i was big on all of them and yeah. all of them are good the singles but like the rest of the stuff on that album is kind of just missing the mark for me mm-hmm. um and I've, I've always really liked the fact that they stuck to their whole we're immature like we lament growing up like that's how they're, that's their whole yeah. thing right like that that inner child that just won't shut up like that's blink 82 constantly telling yeah. you like yeah i'm still a kid in here even though i'm a 50 something year old man and yeah. like that that hasn't changed like that's still what the the bulk of the content in their album is about um but s- some of the tracks do sort of feel like they were phoned in in that regard it was like they're not really saying anything about that uh that mindset as they are yeah. repeating sort of tropes about that mindset. 
Yeah, yeah. It is hard. At a certain point, it is like, that's kind of the hard thing if you don't evolve. Like, uh, does that message eventually, do you like uh, lose synonyms? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, like, have you, have you, are you at a loss for uh, more ways to say the same thing you've been saying since the, you know, mid to late nineties, since, you know, Dude Ranch right. and, and albums like that. Uh, cause I, cause I do believe that they have evolved. They've evolved a great deal since their, their beginning, especially oh, music, like, like sonically, yeah, like sonically yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, they, and they've tried slightly different things uh, over the last couple of albums. Uh, when they when they didn't have um, their lead singer uh, Tom DeLonge, Tom DeLonge. Um, they they subbed in some other folks. And honestly, I I felt like they were still releasing like quality music. Like I liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah, they got like Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio. Yes, yeah, great. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting era. Um, but, th- but this one seems like they're maybe kind of knocking the dust off because like, it's the first time the three of them have been back in like a really long time. Uh, and like, and, yeah. and honestly, like that trio is the best version of Blink-182. Sure. Like, uh, I, I, I hope they keep going. Like give, give yeah. this, a, give this a couple more tries. I hope they don't get discouraged. Cause I do know that they were super pumped about this release. Like, um, I want to say Mark had said that the one of the singles that they released one more time, which is one of my favorite songs on the album, actually, was like one of the best songs he feels like Blink has ever done. Mm. Like he was that high on it. And, and I agree. It's a really fantastic, really emotional song. Uh, but like just the whole project as a as a complete thing is kind of missing the mark. Like I'll, I'll still listen to it, but I, I might Very skip sure. around and I don't do that with Blink-182 albums. I don't do that with many of the albums that I actually give the time of day. But I don't know. I want I want them to keep going. I love Blink Radio 2 still. Uh, but that's pretty much it for me. Uh, right. So we can move on to our final ah. topic, our only topic. <laughs> Xbox. Let's get into this org chart. Yes. Xbox has reorganized uh, some of their upper level management uh, in the wake of the uh, Activision Blizzard deal closing. Uh, first off, uh, Matt Booty. Uh, is becoming the president of game content and studios, uh, which puts him over uh, ZeniMax, um, which is Bethesda and whatnot. Whereas I believe Bethesda was kind of put to the side and didn't have anyone other than Phil Spencer over them prior. Almost autonomous. Yeah, like yeah. Limited kind of integration. Left, yeah, left to their own devices. Uh, and Sarah Bond has now been uh, made president of Xbox and she oversees all platform and hardware stuff. Um, and then uh, they had a, a chief marketing officer, Chris Capicella, who's uh, now leaving the company after 32 years. Um, so these these are like the major ones. Um, if you look at the org chart that was put out, uh, Bobby Kotick is very far down on this list, <laughs> <laughs> but he is still on the list. Uh, we've heard that um, at the end of the year, like once like once 2024 rolls around, he's gone. Like he's out of the company. We won't have to deal with Bobby Kotick anymore. So yay, congrats, we did it. On that front, um, you can take his massive golden parachute and f off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, no, there's nothing we can do about that, right? So we'll do take what we can get. Uh, but once he does depart, apparently um, Xbox's main leadership will actually have more female executives than male executives. And I don't know how this stacks up in other companies in their hierarchy, but I feel like that's pretty significant, and that's kind of telling, maybe about um, how progressive the Xbox uh, organization has been or has tried to be be under uh, Phil Spencer's leadership. And I know I sound like a Phil Spencer fanboy, and it's because I kind of am. Like, I really feel like he he genuinely gives a shit 
about uh, like both video games and about um, the consumers at least perception of them and their and the games that they make. Um, but all that being said, Xbox has struggled in the realm of producing quality first party video games. Uh, and now that they're bringing in yet another big library of games and studios, um, is there any hope that this uh, new reorganization can maybe help kind of get some of these fledgling studios who have been making stuff for Xbox and kind of failing to get them to be uh, good, for lack of a better word, uh, <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I actually help turn this ship around? Because it seems to be a very tall order for Phil Spencer and co. Oh, well, I think uh, Matt Booty's promotion is intended to, um, well, I should say like his new oversight. They they say that ZeniMax will still have limited integration with Xbox, Mm -hmm. but now they have to report to him, which kind of makes me think that what they're, and I think several articles have inferred this as well, that they are trying to avoid a Redfall situation because Mm -hmm. the whole thing with Arcane was that they, they had, everyone just sort of assumes that Microsoft like, was the reason that game failed, but they said they basically had no input into what Arcane was doing with Redfall. Red, Red Arcane had total creative freedom to mm-hmm. make the game they wanted to make, and look how that turned out. So it kind of makes me wonder whether they're trying to maybe at least gently put a hand on the reins, um, if not, you know, not outright taking the taking the reins away from the writer, but just sort of gently trying to steer a little bit. Um, you know, or at least putting Matt Booty in a position where he could conceivably, mm-hmm. uh, where he where he at least has the power to pull the plug and say, "Hey, this isn't working for us. We need to, you know, we need to change things around." That's the that's the way I'm looking at it. Is Matt Booty is there as kind of an executioner, <laughs> like not not so much. A, <laughs> All right, we, you need to do this and make this better in this way, but more so if something seems to be going down a certain road. He can just tell them to stop and do something else. Like mm-hmm. this, this will not go any any further. And and again, and that would avoid a Redfall situation, but it would mm-hmm. also it also wouldn't fix the problem, I guess, of them releasing something that is of like a high quality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so, are there any ideas for that? <laughs> Everyone say hello to my husband back there. Hey, <laughs> just a little bit, but uh, oh. yeah, I mean it's. Uh, um, Redfall to me feels like a kind of one of those like perfect storm kind of games that uh, that its failure was the result of uh, uh, probably a half decade of bad decisions uh, and uh, you know trying to uh, uh, trying to chase a trend that uh, by the time the game came out people were kind of sick of and um, trying to f- uh, fit a square peg in a round hole with a developer who. Uh, does not make these kind of games and trying to get them to make these kinds of games. And so, but like whose idea was that? Was that something that Bethesda or ZeniMax pushed on arcane or was it something arcane wanted to do? Like, did we ever figure that out? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, the way Phil Spencer just sort of described it when, when he was talking about Redfall made it sound like it was entirely arcane's idea, but that's not to say that, um, it could have been like a lot of the idea for it could have come from arcane, but you know, it could very well have been Bethesda to come in and say, Hey, four person co-op multiplayer titles are popular right now. Make a four op four yeah. person mm-hmm. co-op multiplayer. We want to, we want a game that can live on beyond its initial release. So 
right make one of those um which isn't a bad thing to want but i think the execution definitely left something to be desired yeah yeah the interesting thing about microsoft is it has um when compared directly, I guess to Sony, just because it's the, the the comparison that makes the most sense, I feel like Microsoft has a way lower floor. Like Microsoft has a tendency over the past decade to release games that are duds in a way that Sony first party games usually aren't, and even the ones that are uh, less warmly received at launch, like Days Gone end up growing to have kind of like a cult fan mm-hmm. base now. Um, and then yeah. you have the rest of their games, which are usually lauded with awards and and, and highly praised. Your, your Spider-Man's Last of Us, Tsushima's, everything like that. God mm-hmm. of War. Um, whereas Microsoft, you know, had... We, we mentioned uh, the either first-party or uh, published games, like um, we mentioned Quantum Break and ReCore, and then stuff that was canceled, like Scalebound, and stuff that came out super Too soon. Like Crackdown. Yeah. Uh, and then we have everything that happened with Halo and everything that happened with Redfall. Like, uh, there's... Microsoft, it still feels like we have that, oh, they'll be here in five minutes thing that we've been saying for (laughs) as long as you and I have been doing pods and I've been saying on podcasts for almost 10 years Um, and adding an entire stable of Activision developers, you know, like in theory, the like a bunch of this game's best selling years, uh, a bunch of this year's best selling games uh, are now Microsoft (gasps) games. You know, that's going to be Diablo. That's going to be Call of Duty. That's going to be Starfield. Like, Mm-hmm. like that those don't and it's funny because like those you know you can scream and pound your fists all you want and say those aren't homegrown talent you literally had to buy bethesda and you had to buy activision for those but like i don't know they did yeah i think i i do want to i don't want to defend xbox because obviously like they are lagging behind playstation uh to a certain you know, to a degree and, you know, definitely behind Nintendo, um, especially with, with regards to first party titles. But I will say, I feel like uh, a lot of times, like to come to the comparison, you know, sort of like the comparison is the thief of joy because we are sort of overlooking some of the stuff that Xbox has done really well, which is mm. things like Microsoft flight simulator, Forza motorsport, um, the age of empire series, you know, stuff that is not necessarily, um, it's it's not necessarily you know Spider Man or God of War level like yeah, you know single player narrative attention yeah it's way. not like these like huge like cinematic style games but they are good games that have been you know Pentiment I mean I I I will sit here and you know hold the banner up for Pentiment uh you know all day long um so I, I do think it is worth mentioning and so let, let's not talk about Xbox like they're like some like you know, beleaguered underdog who, you know, have nowhere to go but up. They have produced some a lot of good good games. And one of the things that I always want to remind people when we talk about the Activision Blizzard acquisition, they got King too. They've got Candy Crush now. Mm-hmm. And I I think would be remiss to um like suggest that that's not going to be funding a lot of stuff going forward. Okay. I mean that that is all very true. Like, yeah, no, Microsoft is not getting any smaller, like, the, mm-hmm. despite, like, uh, Sony, like, winning all the accolades or whatnot, like, Microsoft continues to, like, press on their heels uh, with mm-hmm. just, you know, the looming shadow of the <laughs> the behemoth that they've become. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still, it still very much feels like they're on the back foot because, like, it's apparently, like, when it comes down to it, like, games are just, that's where all of your 
your pedigree comes from, right? Like the mm-hmm. number of first party games you release that basically blow people's socks off, right? Yeah. And like, and and it's not just that Microsoft has <clears throat> less; it's that they have games that come out of their first party studios that are bad or that are mediocre or oh, that yeah, are yeah. super divisive. Like, because even Starfield, which is probably their biggest release in that vein uh, in a really long time, pretty much half of people are like, I don't mess with this at all. <laughs> It's like, I yep. don't like this at all. But like, this is the best that they have is a game that's that divisive, even though like there's, there's a huge fan base for it, but also there's people who mm-hmm. just hate it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think, yeah, again, I think if the comparison is if, like if you compare their like cinematic level first party uh, uh, single player narrative games to, uh, to even Nintendo, yeah, they're definitely going to fail in that comparison. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but... Uh, I'm just going to point out somebody mentioned this year we've had Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah, that I'm happened this year. Yeah, I love that game. Yeah. A great deal. It's their, oh God, that was Microsoft yeah. cast a very wide net, though, and mm-hmm. a lot of their wins are um, relatively niche. Like, I love Hi-Fi Rush as well, but like Hi-Fi Rush, um, Age of Empires, Flight Sim, Forza, even Psychonauts to a degree, Pentiment, uh, they're, they're niche successes. And it's various sizes of niches because, like, yeah. there's a, like, the racing genre is huge, but, like, in the conversations we have, it feels niche. Same thing with sports games. Um, whereas no, Sony, Sony makes those um, summer blockbusters that everyone goes to the theaters for, you know. <laughs> and uh, that being said, a lot of their summer blockbusters do feel kind of similar like you know you have mm-hmm. their their third person story driven games that oftentimes take the control away from you that tell really good stories that have some sort of crafting or rpg elements to them uh you know you see a lot of that dna through spider-man and Sushima and, and mm-hmm. last of us and god of war and everything whereas microsoft feels movies because they're basically movies already yeah yeah <laughs> and microsoft has a more diverse portfolio but that also means that portfolio is more diverse in reception to it um, yeah well i, I yeah, just I, it makes me th- i just realized we're kind of like overlooking like the big uh like excitement here sarah bond president of xbox now congratulations yeah. to sarah yeah, yeah. i mean i like sarah bond so yeah, i'm happy great. for her yeah every time she's shown up she's like impressed uh the her performance during the uh the trial that they had was like <laughs> kind of amazing <laughs> yeah i feel like that was like a lock for like okay like maybe she was like in the running for this position. And then uh-huh. I was like, all right, that's, that's, that's <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Uh, but like they, they do say that um, her role is specifically looking at hardware and we, we can't expect to have uh, some, some new hardware stuff in the next couple of years. Like apparently there's going to be like a light version of uh, the Xbox series X. Uh, the S is already uh discless, but I think we're getting like a, a big one with no disc. And then mm-hmm. um, there was stuff about new controllers coming soon. And like their regular, uh, Elite controllers, their version two elite controllers, are going on sale for like ridiculously low prices all the time. I feel like they're trying to get rid of stock. <laughs> Which yeah, that's usually a, a, a telltale sign something else is coming. Yeah, so I'm kind of excited for whatever they got about new controllers because I know they've been toying with the idea of the haptic stuff that uh, Sony has. Even though I feel mm-hmm. like that's 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 fallen into gimmick territory. Like I know folks were like really hype about it, but like people aren't really using it, and it doesn't seem it's- to be mattering that much. I bought Alan Wake on uh, PlayStation because they said you could feel the raindrops on the controller. <laughs> I will say the haptics are pretty good um, in Spider-Man too, as well for certain things, mm-hmm. but not, um, but not like. But you are right; it is it is largely a gimmick. It's not something that like 
changes the whole game or anything. Yeah, but I think that is what we're going to see in for future Xbox controllers, perhaps uh, coming late to the party with that. Uh, but the 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 main thing is like with with Matt Booty now being uh, in charge of game content and Sarah Bond as just general president. I kind of don't feel like this is going to have a ton of impact on the output of these studios in a real way. Like at, at best, like you guys were saying, Matt Booty might be able to axe a project that looks like it's it's going to arrive dead, essentially. But that just mm-hmm. means less stuff from Xbox than we're already getting, I feel like. And like the stuff that does make it to, to prime time uh, will continue to kind of be sort of near misses in a way. Because like, cause what has changed? Like they, they've added more studios now that Phil and Matt and Sarah have to look. Well, Sarah doesn't really handle studio stuff, but like Phil and Matt have to basically corral even more uh, studios and developers than they had before. And if they, especially if uh, they start getting pitches for like long dead franchises from Activision, from like one of the many studios that just make Call of Duty, that's even more stuff that now gets splintered off from like the other big thing that they're now gonna have to have some sort of oversight on. So like the odds are in their favor that you're gonna get something really good out of all of this, but it's equally as likely that you're gonna get more, you know, just whatever. We, uh, earlier when we were talking about the MCU, uh, one of the, um, I'm, I'm reading a book by Joanna Robinson right now, who's an amazing culture critic. Uh, that's sort of like the story of the MCU. And she interviewed a shit ton of, uh, uh, you know, people past, present and future. And it's this really great kind of like oral history of, of, of the rise and sort of tumultuous modern day of the MCU. And, uh, one of the things is how, uh, up through Endgame, uh, Kevin Feige, kind of had his thumbprint on almost everything. Like, everything ultimately ran through him. And so the story got to be sort of woven like this tapestry because he was able to, like, see that through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when the shows got to Disney+, Plus, and instead of making two or three movies a year, you were making three or four movies a year plus several seven- to ten-hour series a year, that became harder and harder for a single person to do, to have yeah. oversight over that many things. And so there is that worry here with not only did um, Microsoft proper, you know, pre-Zenimax um, gobble up a lot of studios like Obsidian and Compulsion and, and Double Fine, but then folding in all the Zenimax studios and now folding in all the Activision Blizzard King studios, that is a lot. Yeah. it's, it's And like, <laughs> I don't know how you certainly have certain things kind of just move on their own. Like uh, call of duty is, is that that train's always going to arrive on time. But like, if you want to make any major changes, does that come at the detriment of giving the time and care needed to your first party studios? Like, cause it's one of those things where it feels like there's a lot of fires right now mm-hmm. at Xbox. Halo's on fire and we <laughs> need to figure out what we're doing with halo. But also what do we do with call of duty? How do we redefine call of duty? But also, we want to revive some of these dead franchises. But also, man, Elder Scrolls Six really needs to be a win. <laughs> yeah. But also, Arcane needs to bounce back from Redfall because that wasn't that wasn't working. Also, well. Overwatch Two apparently is failing oh. everybody. <laughs> also, what do we do? Maybe we just make Warcraft Four. Would people be happy about that? Maybe we do that. Uh, but also, Marty keeps saying he wants Banjo Kazooie, so maybe we should make a Banjo Kazooie game. But also, Minecraft's the biggest game oh, on the planet. Dark's also I want there. a new Spyro game. Yeah, but also, people want a new Spyro game. Like, who, like this is like we're getting to some cheesecake factory shit here and uh <laughs> as someone who likes the, the options factory, i'm not sure how i feel about all this <laughs> no yeah that's, that's yeah that that is essentially the 
the long and short of it is like I I don't I I mean and the thing is like these are just the main people. Uh, oh yeah. Who 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 is it that they're delegating some of this other stuff to? Like who's in charge of all the individual studios that they can trust to sort of uh get stuff over the finish line in in a way that's that's going to help them out in this particular regard. But do we know uh-huh. who's replacing Bobby Kotick? Bobby Kotick um at Activision Blizzard yet? No clue. No. Okay. Cuz I, I are have putting, my... Are you putting your name, your hat in the ring? <laughs> oh, I, could I do a worse job? No, you absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> you, you at least have empathy. Something. I'm not going to threaten to kill my secretary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, your uh, secretary, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> in that That'd case, be a we'll weird it, dynamic between we'll the two of us, wouldn't it? We'll give it a. We'll give it a pass. Um, I want to see what their Google calendars look like, or their Microsoft Edge calendars. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Microsoft Edge. It's Teams, right? That's their product. Teams. I want to see their Teams yeah. calendar because that seems like they they're busy. <laughs> like, what do those meetings look like? Yeah, it's <sighs> a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, they should just make Minecraft too. I still think they should do that. I don't care about Minecraft, but I would get excited if they announced Minecraft too. <laughs> of course, wouldn't that but, be cool? Uh, I think yeah, Minecraft is I, fine. Uh, I I, I just. I think that a lot of the I, I, I think that this reorg is more about um, top level management. It's not necessarily I don't necessarily think they're going to shake up like they're still keeping all the same leadership at Zenimax. Like nobody is uh, they're They're not reorganizing well, Zenimax in Bethesda. Pete Hines just left, right? Pete Hines just left. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like retired. Like, yeah, sure. Like, there are a lot of people in the industry who are retiring right now. I mean, Donald Mustard retired. Pete Hines retired. Um Jim Ryan retired. Yeah. And it's like so, uh, a lot of people are like, oh, that's drama. And I'm like, no, these people are like now in their 50s in the or 60s 30... and they're rich as shit. Yeah. yeah they, these people have been in the industry for 30 plus years. And they like, have a hell of stock options on these companies. So they're good. Yeah. Like the like the fellow who um, I, I can't pronounce his name, but the one who just got replaced by Takeshi Nomoto. I think, like I said, he's been in the industry for 32 years. And, yeah. you know, there's a part of me that's thinking, see, probably just retired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like I don't less think he's drama gonna. And more. Yeah. I mean, what's going on with Hideki Kamiya? That's drama. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Dev- him and Shinji Mikami are definitely, definitely coming back and getting the <laughs> yeah. back. Have, yeah, have you guys been are, watching his, uh, his YouTube channel? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> like he does but, not know what to do with himself. He's just like answering no. random questions. <laughs> he's my sick Lambo with suicide doors. <laughs> I just I. Yeah. You know Hideki Kamiya has made some of my favorite games ever, so but there is a part of me that is always that is a little scared of him. <laughs> You're gonna get but, fucking blocked for saying that. You're absolutely oh, no. getting blocked. Oh oh yeah, I'm if I'm not already blocked. I don't say anything directly to the man because he doesn't like when people talk to him in English, so you know. Yeah. But also anyway. Lampy Brighton brings up a good point that Pete Hines and Donald Mustard both retiring. Something's going down at the condiment factory. <laughs> <laughs> John, Johnny Mayo found dead. It's <laughs> ketchup, ketchup. Um, but yeah, I think the I think nice this is Lampy. more to simplify things a little bit because I mean, mm-hmm. I think uh, how do I put this? I think with having so much under the umbrella, they're trying to make sure that they have the right people holding the umbrella. If that makes sense, I mean that's mm-hmm. a really bad metaphor, but um. <laughs> I'm doing my best here. I'm I'm sleep deprived. Um, it's a really big umbrella, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, they they 
Okay, let me let me try a different metaphor. They are going. No, I want to, you to double down on the umbrella. Okay, one. double down on the umbrella. <laughs> so, because the umbrella has to cover so many different things, yes. they're making sure that the tallest people at the company are holding it. Excellent. That so, there, did I save it? Did I salvage it? Maybe. So, there's some sort of Maybe. a large Slender Man. <laughs> yes. Sarabond <laughs> is Slender Man. Yes, yeah. that is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, and there's I still. Yeah, I think Obviously, it's more of a top-down level uh, reorganization just to keep things a little bit more tidy and to uh, just so everyone ultimately knows that. I think a large part of this is just so that like a lot of the emails don't go to Phil Spencer. Sure, because he's gotta, he's gotta a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of a lot of stuff has been going probably like a lot of stuff at Zenimax has probably been going directly to Phil Spencer uh, as like the because somebody has to be the person ultimately to answer all the questions. Yeah. And now, so, and yeah, obviously, like all of these studios still have studio heads that are <laughs> running the studios. And so, yeah, that is just how an org chart works is that the studio heads are going to be in charge of all that. And, and in both ways, you know, Spencer is going to delegate to, to Matt Booty and Matt Booty is going to delegate to the studio heads and the studio heads are going to delegate to their teams and vice versa. The information is going to go the other way up. Um, yeah. And that's just on the content side. Like Sarah Bond is going to be the one handling like the, the hardware uh, and the yeah. software development as well. So, you know, I think it more clearly delineates who's in charge of what so that, you know, it's not just all just like a big spaghetti underneath. Yeah. And with- being an affable public face like yes. in that that Sony's kind of missing now. Sony needs like, yeah. uh, you know, they have Herman Hulse and they have studio heads that people know and game directors and stuff. But like they're missing like like Phil Spencer and Sarah Bond are like really charismatic and like they so is yes. Matt Booty. And Matt Booty, yeah. yeah. Matt and like had yeah. an online presence for a while too, yeah. And like and people will be like, they're they're uh ultimately they're just corporate uh corporate employees at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, that's like, their job. Yeah, we have <laughs> but like the video game industry, weirdly enough, has always sort of heralded like our heads of vi- of the video game companies. Uh, yeah. Like folks love uh Miyamoto, like they love yeah. uh, Reggie Fiz- yeah. Fizami. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, Reggie who was just a corporate. Yeah, he's dude. just, like, he's just an executive. A- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um and so I don't think that's like I don't I don't know. That, well, they're that all ultimately like selling. Gotcha. Yeah, they're all ultimately selling a product. Yeah, yeah. But then at the same time you're like do you cuz there's there's a difference there's like you are bullshitting me. Uh, and there's also like, oh, I sense sincerity and some sincerity and honesty here. And I sense that from, you know, the, the, like, the Microsoft folks, even though, yes, at the end of the day, they are trying to make money. This is not necessarily not relevant, real. but did, did, were any of you kind of like, did you guys get weird vibes from Sean Layden, the guy for, who used to be PlayStation CEO, the guy since we're talking like about Sean charismatic. Layden. Did you guys, I mean, since you uh, like, since you mentioned charismatic public figures, I was always a little bit like, I feel like he's a mafia boss secretly. <laughs> that was the vibe he, he always gave me. He, I thought he was a little weird, but he really <laughs> liked old games and cared about preservation. And mm-hmm. that meant a lot to me because Jim Ryan didn't. And as someone yeah, who has a head great. injury said yesterday that there should be no, we should no longer be able to play games made after 2003. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, I uh, I only want old games, and so I approve of that. Yeah, I was very shocked when they picked Jim Ryan over Sean Layden uh, when they decided to like consolidate their their like heads or whatnot. Like, I don't know what happened back there because I always thought Sean Layden was the more popular of the two, but maybe just yeah. here in the West he was, and Jim Ryan was just making shit tons of money in Europe for them. And it was like, we're going to go with this guy. I mean, one stop talking about old games. Turns out that's, that's <laughs> my whole thing is not a good way to run a business. 
Um, yeah, I think this is all. I, I think this as a corporate reorg, this just it makes this makes sense, especially mm-hmm. since they basically doubled the size of their entire gaming division yeah. with this with this acquisition. So I think ultimately it is giving more. It's giving more people for everything to funnel through. So you've mm-hmm. ultimately now you've got like under Phil Spencer, you've got uh, on the Xbox side. Um, this that's to say nothing because they've reorged some stuff on Microsoft side as well that we mm-hmm. you know we haven't right, even right, gotten right. into. Um, but on the Xbox side, we they reorged everything to go under Sarah Bond and Matt Booty, and then under them, I think they mentioned that they have a new head of PR. Um, let me just see if I can find his exact title because I just accidentally xed out it's of clippy. it. Damn it, Clippy. Still still grinding it out. Clippy B. <laughs> oh, there it is. It's cool. um, still still working in games? No, nah, he wrote a comic a book about like a robot dog that he keeps trying to get people to read. Yeah. Takeshi Nomoto is the chief marketing officer. By the way, I'm just gonna say Takeshi Nomoto is the same person who in those leaked documents that that was those Xbox leaked documents, he's the one who suggested they should buy Nintendo. <laughs> and Phil Spencer had to turn around and say, like, I like the way you think, but no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's, maybe that was one of those there's no bad ideas in this meeting kind of thing. Like, <laughs> it was it listen, was just one of those things. Pie in the sky. If I had to be held responsible for every weird idea I floated in a corporate meeting, I mean, come exactly. on. Exactly. As, well, people are saying, you know, like, oh, Xbox wants to buy Nintendo just because uh, Phil Spencer said, like, well, it would be a career moment if we did. Of mm. course it would be. Yeah. And of course, yeah. of course they want to buy Nintendo. I want to buy yeah. Nintendo. From it's the very a matter beginning, of that was not... their plan. Before they yeah, decided like... to actually do video games, Microsoft was like, let's just go buy Nintendo. And Nintendo was like, nah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it, I can't fault them for wanting to buy Nintendo. It's okay yeah. to want things. But, you know, even Phil Spencer is like, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's okay. pretty much the gist of uh, the reorg. Uh, like, I, again, like, I don't think too much is going to actually change, but I, I hope it does make the process of of getting quality games to the finish line better because that has been a, a struggling point <laughs> for microsoft oh bless you pardon me pardon me um but we're way over time at this point so we're gonna go ahead oh. and wrap it up unless you guys have any closing thoughts on this that you'd like to add no all right well rachel what do you have coming up that folks can check out where can they find you um you can find my writing over at venturebeat.com games which is games beat and uh, i also do um a daily gaming news blast over on tiktok um so if you are interested in just getting a daily update on everything that's happening in the video games industry that's where you can find my stuff i'm currently on hiatus from my uh stay golden sunday recaps because i just finished season three but i am working on my season one wrap-up of perry mason to hopefully hopefully go live tomorrow so that's all my uh my big stuff i'm i am working on a couple of smaller game reviews and uh one big game review wink 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 that's coming out in uh, a few days uh, that or it that probably be that would that be further a little further down the line but i am working on a few more uh things and um i have a link tree that you can find um on my twitter and my twitch and uh basically every site has a link tree so that if the if like the twitter is not your thing for example you can find me on a whole bunch of other platforms i'm already i am now on blue sky and threads as well if you want to come find me there sweet uh, Marty, where can folks find you? What do you have coming up? I'm trying to figure out what that big review you were talking about was. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me check uh, my let me check the embargo. See if I'm actually allowed to no, say. You, you just tell me off stream. 
Okay, I'll tell you. Uh, oh yeah, just uh, I'll just do all do all of the normal stuff. Just all the normal stuff. I'll be back. I'll be finishing that scary Silent Hill game I was talking about later tonight, probably around six p.m. Ooh, or so. Nice. Very scary. I need to put that behind, and then I need to play something very nice. I don't know what it's going to be, but just it needs to be nice. <laughs> I've been stuck in this goddamn room, and everything is so tense. How is a game where you put it on easy, and it's just still very difficult? <laughs> Why do you even put the difficulty options in there, then? Yeah, I wonder what not easy is, then. I don't want to know. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to know, and I don't want to talk about it. There's so many ghosts in that game. You can't do shit about the ghosts. You can't do anything. They just chase you. you hit them with axes, and they just get back up. It's fucking terrible. It does sound like a ghost. It's great. Yeah, I mean that's like yeah, it's like a Japanese ghost. So Japanese ghosts do not quit. <laughs> they are hardworking. They put in the work and uh, they stick oh, around. They stick around. And the one that has very long hair and that hair, you, when you get entangled in it, you stop moving. You have this AI partner, and she is so fucking. Oh, I feel so bad. She is so. She is so dead. And I'm gonna get to the end of the game, and she's gonna die so quickly, and I'm gonna get the worst ending, and I'm just gonna feel bad because I want this character to be fine, but I'm so bad at protecting her. I'm just so bad. This is why I'm never gonna have children because I'm never gonna be able to protect them from ghosts. <laughs> that reminds me. Didn't a Fatal Frame game also come out this year? It did. This, I think it was like a remake. Been the of most. It's been too many games. Too many yeah. games. Yeah. Oh my god. We should stop. We should stop. Is no more. No more games. Shut, they, shut off the spigot. No more. No, they yeah. should like turn it to full blast right before the. <laughs> this <laughs> is full blast. Yeah. Casey, Half this is three. full blast. <laughs> oh man, uh, but as for me, you can find me at Sigma Gears Nine all over the internet. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, that I just reviewed Ghost Runner. I think that's the most recent uh, three MR that I have over on Escapist. Uh, but there are several others before that, like Hot Wheels uh, Unleashed. Two turbocharged, uh, Lord of the Fallen. Um, I keep blanking because there's been so much and it's just crowding my brain. Uh, but I also have other new reviews coming very soon uh, within the weeks of November that you guys can look forward to. Um, I also have all the regular streams that we're doing throughout the week that you can check out. Um, and outside of that, Check me out uh, over on the Open Party channel for more Super Smash Sunday this afternoon, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, last week, I was I showed up at like the very last of the three hours we do, but we had like a ton of brand new people who were there beforehand. Nice. Um, and like the matches were like going nuts. So I'm, I'm kind of yeah. upset that I missed that. So hopefully uh, we get some of those folks back. Um, uh, but that's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Rachel, mm -hmm. for joining me. Thank you, Marty, for joining as well. Yeah, pleasure. Uh, we will see you all next week. Take care. This has been episode 120. Peace. Bye, everyone.